So we've been talking about forgiveness. And we talked about the transaction that is forgiveness. And probably in most of our minds is this idea of, am I past God's forgiveness? And is, there, is there something that I've done, something that I've thought, something that I've, I've been a part of? This is not working, Lowell, so help me out here. Are we past forgiveness? Is there, is there something that we've done that takes us beyond what God could forgive? And so this would, we, we set it up by talking about the parable of, of the unforgiving servant, that's what it's called, and the, the story that, that Jesus told in response to Peter's question, how many times should we forgive? It was a, a story of a, of a guy who had a lot, and there was a guy who owed him a lot, and the guy in his compassion, he said, I forgive that great debt. And then the story kind of turns in response to Peter's question when, when Simon Peter said, well, how many times should I forgive my brother? And then the story is that then the one who had been forgiven a whole lot didn't forgive the one who had a debt against him. And sin is always presented in the Bible as a debt, right? It's a, it's a fiduciary term. And so when, whenever we see sin and stuff in the Bible, the, the things that dishonor God, the things that hurt other people, the, the, the things that we kind of know inside ourselves that those are sinful things, it's almost always presented as a, a debt, so just like we owe for something that we've bought and haven't paid for, a car, a house, whatever it is, that we, we owe a debt, that, that debt has to be accounted for, that debt has to be uh, paid, satisfied, forgiven, blotted out, whatever. All those words are used in Scripture. And the, the story that Jesus told was just that. So today, a lot of words on this slide, but stay with me. Forgiveness involves an acknowledgement of that transaction. Forgiveness involves an, an understanding that, that, yes, there is a, a sense that we receive forgiveness from God. Yes, that we extend that forgiveness to others. But the part we hardly ever talk about, but it's sort of the elephant in the room, is that we won't forgive ourselves. It is a transaction of forgiveness, uh, a, 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 an exchange of, of grace, so to speak. And in Colossians, that's what the Scripture says. I owe a great debt in this series to Tim Keller, who wrote a book called Forgive. And particularly at the end of the message today, there's a, a formula that he gives us that was very, very helpful. But in it, he talks about this, this sense that most of us carry a sense of unworthiness where we wonder if we are eligible to receive forgiveness. Now, process that for a second. There are some people that you, you probably not in this room, but, but they're out there who uh, uh, maybe really don't care one way or another. They don't care if they forgive they don't care if they're forgiven. 
If there is evil that they have done, it's just that. It's objectively evil. They have hurt someone, someones. They have uh, engaged in unspeakable evil things. We've seen lots and lots of that in the news. Evil, evil people. They don't care if they've been forgiven. They don't care if they forgive. But I tend to think those people are rare. I I tend to think that, that, that maybe that's not something that's very common. That most people, whether they believe in God or not, whether they embrace God or not, most people have this sense that there is a higher power, there is a, a something that's bigger than we are. We we'll, we'll call Him God, call him, that there, there is a, a, at least an awareness of faith, whether or not people have embraced it. And most all of them who have an awareness of faith, go, okay, there's such a thing as sin, therefore there's such a thing as forgiveness. How do I get on board with that? How do I receive that forgiveness? How do I extend that forgiveness? And ultimately, the question, how do I forgive myself? So my definition of forgiveness that I've told you before, it's, it's giving up the right to be right. And on our Wednesday night Bible study group, somebody added, well, it's also giving up someone else the right to stay wrong. (laughs) It's also giving someone else the right to stay wrong because there are times we forgive someone else and they don't care. And I love a, a verse that's tucked inside of Romans that says, if possible, so far as it lies with you, be at peace with all men. The accountant in me says, okay, it's not always possible. Doesn't always lie with you. We're good here. Because forgiveness is something we extend whether or not somebody receives it. Reconciliation is something that needs two parties. And so our goal is always reconciliation. But our extension of the repayment of the debt for us is that we would learn to forgive. And certainly that includes learning to forgive ourselves. There's a story that Jesus tells, and he kind of addresses all of it. The issue of whether we forgive ourselves is, a, is like I said, not an issue for some, a big issue for others. And then think in terms of a number of scenarios here, Okay. Uh, perhaps something that you've done in the past is sort of haunting you. And, and, and it was a pretty big thing, but, 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 but you just kind of continue to struggle with it. Scenario number two, you, you have this generally unworthy feeling. You know, I, I don't know how anybody could ever love me, and I don't especially know how God could love me. And if he can't really love me, he can't really forgive me. And if I, there's that general sense of unworthiness. Third scenario, maybe you've done something that you thought was so unspeakably bad that it approached the unpardonable sin. You may have heard that, that phrase. I'm not going to spend any time with it. I'll just say that if you're in here, if you're watching online, and you think you've uh, committed the unpardonable sin and it bothers you, you probably haven't. We can talk about that later on. I like steak. I like coffee. Either one that you want to buy me will have a long cup of coffee, a long steak dinner. We can talk about it 
if you think you've committed the unpardonable sin and that bothers you, you probably haven't. But we're left with this sense that I've done something and I wonder if God will forgive me. So Jesus tells this story. And I like this story especially because it's, it's uh, unique to Luke. It's, it's, it's only in his translation in Luke chapter 23 where the scene is that Jesus is on the cross and he has two very important things to say about forgiveness. Start with chapter 23, verse 32. The Scripture says, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. That's why we always see the picture of three crosses. On either side of Jesus were criminals. We assume that they'd done horrible things. They were being crucified for it. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, some of your translations use the word Golgotha, and some of them use the word Calvary. All three are interchangeable. There they crucified him. The Romans crucified him. The Jews brought him to trial. He was crucified by others. And yet John 18 teaches us a pretty important truth where Jesus said, No one can take my life, but I lay it down for the sake of others. My translation. So they crucified him, but the, the, the will, the way, the word of God... All throughout this, he's, he's doing this. So the criminals, one on his right, one on his left, and here again, verse 34, only in Luke. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive the Romans, forgive the Jews, forgive the soldiers, forgive the guy with the hammer and the nail, forgive all of these people, because they're not understanding the transaction that's taking place here. Sin has to be punished. He's taking the punishment. Blood has to be shed. It's his blood that is shed. Not spilt. No accident here. It's shed. God decided that this is how he would satisfy the debt between sin and grace. And sin came to the cross. It's nailed there. Our sin, your sin, my sin. It's nailed there. That's how wrath is satisfied. That's how the punishment for sin is, is taken care of. And the exit on the other side is for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so for us to think that God forgives me because he's so loving, that's only partially right. God forgives me because he satisfied the debt. He paid the debt. And that's colliding here. So Jesus said, forgive them. Then a conversation that takes place beginning in verse 39, again, only in Luke. One of the criminals who was hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and save us. Boy, that's just like many of us, right? I want deliverance from the consequences, not from the sin itself. Get me off of this cross. But the other, like I said, probably a person who had a working knowledge of how God was. And he said, don't you fear God at all? E even hear your blasphemy? What's the matter with you? He said, we did what we're accused of, 
Verse 41, we are receiving the reward for our deeds, but this guy has done nothing wrong. That's the, that's the cross. The cross is spoken. We are forgiven. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, this day you will be with me in paradise. Everyone is eligible. You look at this story and you go, okay, well, God stuck a deathbed conversion into the Bible. And one writer said, yeah, but he only did one. It's there so that we know it's possible. There's only one of them, so we know not to get used to it. That the, that the way of the cross is that we would embrace him while we can be uh, productive and while we can be uh, learning and disciples and growing. But yes, there is not a single situation where anybody is beyond the scope of God's forgiveness. And in this story, you kind of get all three. He says uh, he, he understands that he's on the cross because he chose to be there. He understands that he would extend forgiveness even to those executioners who put him there. He understood that he could have this conversation with a guy who was repentant over not only what he had done, but his condition of separation from God. And he said, remember me, Jesus. Jesus said, you are forgiven. This day you will be with me in paradise. And it's like you could see the guy eventually even forgiving himself. So everyone is eligible. Why is it that we don't feel eligible? Why is it that we continue to carry this this sense of of feelings? We, We just don't feel very forgiven. And like I said, maybe you're sitting here and, and you've done something, and you're just carrying the weight of it. Maybe you've sitting here, and you've never embraced Christ as your Savior ever, and you wonder what it's like to be forgiven of sin. Maybe you're just sitting here going, I needed a good sermon on forgiveness. Alan, you go for it. Whatever. You're sitting here with an understanding that all of us have to be reminded that we're eligible, and all of us have to fight the feeling that we're not. That's kind of layered by the culture we're in. Let me drift into professor for just a second. We live in a culture now where we are encouraged to try to be the best version of ourselves. We live in a culture where you do you is sort of a mantra. We live in a culture where if I don't like the the, the way I was born, I just declare that I'm something else. And so I am my own arbiter of my identity. I decide who I'm going to be. I decide what I'm going to be. I decide who I'm going to love, what I'm going to love. And, and, and I'm going to put God way out there in orbit if I think about him at all, because I am my own God. There's a problem with that. If you set yourself up as your own authority, your own higher power, your own identity maker, and you still have this sense of guilt inside you, who do you take it to? Do you confess to yourself? If you're your own God, I guess that's your only option. And the problem there is that there is no standard 
by which to measure what it is that's making you feel bad. What it is that's making you feel guilty? What is it that's making you feel shame? You're carrying this around with you, and you really don't know why. Because you have not really said there's a standard that says there are things that are right, there are things that are wrong, there are things that are good, there are things that are bad, there are things that are evil, there are things that are, are worthy of rejoicing and honor. And without the standard of God's Word, God's will, God's way, you go, how do I know if what I did was bad? How do I know if what I did was evil? How do I know if what I did? Well, I think somebody got hurt. I feel bad. I feel shame. Who do I take that to? And so we're stuck in this loop of I am my own God, and it's not until we go out of ourselves and realize the God of the universe, the one who sent Jesus to the cross, who said in his word, here are the things that we honor, here are the things that are lovely and right and of excellence and of good repute. Let your mind dwell on these things. Without that authority, we're stuck in this shame loop that's defined only by our feelings. So what do we do with that? How do we go back to a place where we accept that God is God and that we are not? How do, what do we do with the guilt that we feel? I want to suggest to you that David, King David, kind of gave us a cool pattern for that. It's all the way back in Psalm chapter 51. Psalm 51, it's Old Testament Psalms is kind of in the middle of your Bible. Just let it fall open. It'll probably fall open to Psalms and then find 51. There's a great backstory to this in that David was by this time the king. Now, we got a lot of songs, Psalms that David wrote and some of them were written when he was a little boy, and some were written when he was a teenager, and some were written when he was a very old man. This one was written when he was middle-aged. He had become the king. He had power. He had authority. He had trust. He had armies. He had servants. He had a palace. And one day he was sitting in that palace, and he spied through the window a woman taking a bath across the way, and he, he decided that as king he could command her to be brought to him and do what he wanted to with her, and he did, and he did. And that spiraled into a, a pretty nasty situation where uh, she got pregnant, and he, he got guilty, and, and he says, how can I make it as if it just goes away? And he says, problem is she's married. He said, well, let's get rid of her husband. So had him sent to the front lines of battle where he would be killed. So David just keeps layering nastiness among nastiness. A friend of his comes to him and says, let me tell you a little story. And he told him a story about somebody who had a lot of power and abused it, and David wasn't the brightest bulb in the box. He, he said, that guy ought to be punished. And his friend said, well, you're that guy. And so we have probably a year later this poem, this song that he wrote that is sort of a go-to for many of us who, who have a little trouble forgiving ourselves. 
because we get to reminded, be reminded that Jesus saved a thief on the cross at the very last minute and God spoke into the sin of a man who was willing to confess it. So he says in Psalm 51, verse 1, Have mercy on me, God. Now when you claim, you plea for mercy, you're basically acknowledging that the other party has all the power. They can forgive more of you than you want to admit have stood before a judge. He has the power, and you or she has the power, and, and you have to convince him, her, that you deserve mercy. But then he says, according to, or on the basis of. In other words, you, you're a judge because somebody has elected you the judge. David is saying, you're God because you're God. And on the basis of your unfailing love, your mercy, your, your compassion. I, I appeal only to that. And then he gives the financial term. He says, blot out my transgressions. Get your, your heavenly white out and, and erase the debt. Declare that it's paid. Then he says, I acknowledge my sin." Now, it's important here, he, he says, I know my transgressions. He didn't say, I acknowledge the consequences of my sin, and I'm in a tight spot. He says, I acknowledge the sin itself. He says, against you and you only have I sinned. And the first million times that I read that in my Bible, I kind of went, Pfft. What do you mean against God alone you've sinned? What about Bathsheba? What about the child who died? What about Uriah who was placed on the front lines of battle and lost his life? What about all the people in Israel who thought they had a king who was going to judge uh, justly and with mercy and compassion? What about the betrayal of trust? What about all of that? On Wednesday night, Gary pointed me to the New English translation of this. And the New English translation of that verse says, I have sinned against you above all. That kind of makes it happen for me. It's an acknowledgement that, yes, a lot of people were hurt. But at the root of all of our sin is that we have chosen our way over God's way. Our identity, our self-declaration being the best version of myself rather than the best version that God is creating me to be. And at the root is, I have sinned God against you above all. What a, what a great pattern for us. He says, I've done what's evil in, my, in, in your sight. I've, I've sinned since birth, verse 5. You delight in truth, verse 6. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop, a strange word, but that process was used as the rough sponge that was used to take the dead skin off a leper who had been healed. David knew that this wasn't going to be a simple, painless process, that, that to be purged, to be purified, to be clean before God is to, to get it out in the open. I have sinned. I have done this. There's still going to be consequences. And so he says, purge me. But then he says this beautiful, beautiful line in verse 10. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. When there is separation 
between a father and a son. It feels like there's nothing left. And David pleads to his heavenly father. He says, all I want is your presence. All I want is to make sure that you don't do the same thing you did with Saul. And, and because of his, his pride and his arrogance, you said, I'm kind of done with you. Don't be done with me, Lord. Don't be done with me. Create in me. Only God can create. He spoke the world into existence. Create in me a clean heart. Start over. Start over. This, this heart that committed adultery, that committed multi, multiple murders, that abused authority, that abused power, let that heart die. As it said in Colossians, you were dead in your transgressions, in your sin. Ephesians, you were dead, but now he has made you alive. Create in me that clean heart. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and in sinners blood guilt to you. Maybe this will work, because I want you to see this. Hey, we're rocking now. Tim Keller says this process is stop, start, and receive. That we've got to stop blame shifting. We're, we're trying to forgive ourselves. We're, we're carrying this load. And first of all, we kind of got to discern, is the guilt I'm carrying true guilt? Is it guilt that is because I've done something, the Holy Spirit has convicted me of that something according to God's will, God's word, God's ways, that, that something is awful and I need to get it right before God. That's true guilt. I would call that conviction. There's another kind of guilt that I'm going to call coercion. There's somebody else that you've allowed to make you feel guilty. Survivor's guilt. You should have, but you didn't. Uh, uh, the, the, the guilt that... That, that, I, that I ran into a lot as a youth pastor when, when non-Christian parents of kids who were trying to follow Christ would say to their child, if you were such a hotshot Christian, you'd mow the yard like you promised you would. You're such a good Christian, why don't you make your bed? Such a good Christian, why don't you be nice to your sister? You're, you're such a good Christian, A, B, C, D, Z. And, and that kind of false guilt is, is layered on us by others. And if we really back away from it, we get into God's Word, we go, is making my bed really a sin if I don't? It's disobedient to parents, and I guess you could go there. But when we allow it to be escalated way beyond the crime, so to speak, then, then we're just wallowing in guilt and self-pity and beating ourselves up. And if we allow somebody else to place their expectations on us in a way that it causes shame, 
We have allowed coercive guilt, false guilt. And you know what? The devil loves this. In 1 Peter, the Scripture says, the devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If I'm wallowing in my self-pity, what could I have done? What should I have done? How do I please the standards of men? What could I have done differently? How could I have made the outcome? If I'm carrying that, the devil knows I'm distracted. The devil knows that I'm discouraged. The devil knows that I'm, I'm thinking about anything else besides receiving the forgiveness that God has so painfully worked out for me on the cross. And that has taken me out of what I'm supposed to be about. Anybody else? Don't raise your hand. Stop. Stop blaming others for it. Stop the self-pity. Stop the, the beating yourself up. And start confessing. Trust me. That says confessing. Start confessing. That means saying to God, hey, I know. That's what David did. Against you and you alone have I sinned. Against you above all have I sinned. It's sin. Uh, I've done this thing. It's it's true guilt. It's conviction. I've searched your word, and I've I've dismissed all the accusations that are, are producing false guilt. I come to you with the conviction that I speak, and I am confessing. Here's a little tidbit, sort of a Bible hack. The word confess doesn't mean reveal. God is really not surprised when you tell him what you've done. Don't mean to break that news to you, but he knows. He he doesn't go, no, Alan, tell me you didn't. He knows I did. The word confess means agree, getting on the same page, clear in the air. It's that, it's that conversation with our Heavenly Father. I know, you know, you know that I know, I know that you know. Here we go. Start accepting that the consequences remain. That just because you're forgiven, that doesn't mean that all of the after effects go away. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Start forsaking the sin. Stop going where it happens. Duh. Stop putting yourself in a place with relationships or with location or with activities that cause you to do the same thing again and again and again. Move yourself out of those situations. And finally, reconcile if you can. Maybe it's not always possible. Reconciliation is two ways. Forgiveness is us emptying our heart of the malice that we feel towards someone else and the hate, the self-loathing that we feel for ourselves. Reconciliation may be possible. It may not. But do what you can because you need to give yourself the same break you give some other people. We pastors struggle with this all the time. We give advice like it's tic-tacs. But so often we go 
oh, I can't take my own advice. I can tell someone else, here's some things you can do. But I look in the mirror and go, do, would I tell myself, myself those same things? Give yourself the same break you would give others. Stop doing some things. Start doing some things and receive what God's plan is. I love this passage. For by grace have you been saved through faith. Okay, all I could do is faith. And then Paul telling the Ephesian church, he said, you're not even strong enough to do that. That faith has to come from me. This, the strength to forgive others, the strength to receive forgiveness, the strength to forgive yourself, that has to come from God and God alone. Repentance is the pathway to self-forgiveness. So, for by grace are you saved. What is grace? It's the collision of what we deserve and what God has given us, and it's found on the cross. It's a costly forgiveness, a costly grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and even that faith is not your own. It is a free gift of God. Why? Because if I could brag about how much I have faith, I would. And God says, don't do that either. But then he says, and you know what? You're his workmanship. Forgiveness is supposed to have a, an other end. David said, after I understand this forgiveness, then I will teach others about this. I will teach transgressors your ways. I'll teach other people about how I can receive forgiveness from God, how I can forgive others, how I can forgive myself. For you are His workmanship. You are created in Christ to do good works. So this, this, this transaction of forgiveness, the cross has spoken, I've been forgiven. When I am convicted, I confess. When I am coerced, I just dismiss it. Because it's not of God, for by grace you are saved. I am saved. It is an offer that says forgiveness is possible. Forgiveness of ourselves, forgiveness toward others, forgiveness that we receive from God and walk with Him as a disciple. Would you close your eyes once again? We prayed at the very beginning. Just asking you to ask yourself, where am I with God? Have I grasped His forgiveness of me? Is there still someone else I'm struggling to forgive? Is there a possibility that I am struggling to forgive myself? My go-to, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful. He's righteous to forgive our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness, to cancel the debt, to blot it out, to wipe it out. If you're here today and you've never received His forgiveness for your sins, 
We have pastors that are in this room. Brian's here. Jeff's here somewhere. John's here somewhere. I'm here. We'll all end up in the lobby afterwards. Our connection corner is right there. Would love to start a conversation with you about what it means to acknowledge that you're a sinner, receive forgiveness for your sins, and begin to walk with Jesus as a disciple. If you're struggling to forgive someone else or yourself, I just want to pray over you. And again, we're happy to pray with you in person if that's something that you need. Dear Father, it's such a big deal. Yes, there are people in our land who don't seek forgiveness and don't grant forgiveness. But most of us who are in here want that. We know that without forgiveness, there is no family. Without forgiveness, there is no friendships. Without forgiveness, there is no hope. God, help us to receive your forgiveness as the servant who owed much. For that person we're struggling to forgive, we we name them right now. And God, maybe we're not ready to take the action that you're telling us to do, but work with us so that we move towards that obedience to, to go to that person and attempt reconciliation. And Father, for persons in here who just wonder, am I just so unworthy? Have I done something so awful that you can't forgive them. Help them to hear that there is a resounding no. The cross has spoken. They are forgiven. He calls us his own. God, let us go away from here with that same attitude as David to teach others about this incredible gift. Because we are before you and we stand forgiven. Thank you. We receive, we rejoice, we sing in Jesus' name.